Coming up next, the beginning continues its discussion of Lord of the Rings. everybody, welcome to The Booking. My name is Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host. I'm just pulling up my notes on Lord of the Rings. Last week we got all the, or no, yeah, last week we got all the way through Bombadillo, Tommy B, and his wife Goldberry in book one of Fellowship of the Ring. Is that all we made it through? That's all we made it through. There's a Whoa. lot to talk about in Tolkien. Now, my goal today is to finish The Fellowship of the Ring. What I really wanted to do was do one book, and by book, I don't mean like a bound volume of Tolkien with a title. I mean, you know how there's like book one, book two, book three, book four? I mean one of those, right? So I was going to get us all the way to the Council of Elrond in our first episode, and then I was going to do from Elrond to, or not, you know, to Elrond's house, and then I was going to do from Elrond's house to the River Anduin and yeah. the Breaking of the Fellowship. That was going to be this episode. But that's not how things worked out. So now we have a lot of fellowship to get through. Maybe we'll get through it all. I'm, that's my intention. I don't know how much there will be to say about things and stuff. Maybe we'll have to do three episodes on Fellowship of the Ring. That's fine. But we'll just do what we need to because we know you like to hear us talk about Tolkien. And why don't I introduce the people that you love to hear talk about Tolkien? You know, why don't we go out of order? He is the bright shining king of all wisdom and wit. He is the dynamic person. That's what we call him, the dynamic person. (laughs) (laughs) He is a pastor. He's planting a church in Evansville, and I highly suggest that you sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. And give money. Maybe I'll even throw a link in, because I can do that now. I mean, I can't throw a verbal link in. That would be silly. I can put a link in the show notes, which is I think I'll do. HTTP... HTTP. <laughs> you go to HTTP. Anyway, he is none other than the past. None other than the pastor who's a master of reading, Jacob K. Menzel. Yeah. Woo. Hey. Hey, Jake. What's How's up? life? It's good. How are you? How's what, your life? What do you like better, the game life, life cereal, or the life that you're living right now? Or lifesavers. Or lifesavers. Lifesaver gummies. Or lifesaver gummies. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, classic lifesavers. We like lifesavers better than the life that you're living now. (laughs) (laughs) If he was eating a lifesaver. If it was the game life or life the cereal or the life I'm living now, it would be the life I'm living now. But you throw lifesavers into the mix and I don't know. It trumps all of them. Lifesavers are pretty good. Better than existence. (laughs) (laughs) Same question to you, Brandon Chasteen, scholar who's a baller of reading. I'll restate the obvious. Yeah. Lifesavers? Yeah. Life cereal? Yeah. The game Life, yeah, where you have the little blue car and or pink car uh-huh. or whatever. You remember that game? Uh huh. Or Life itself, uh huh. The memoir by Roger Ebert, uh huh. Or <laughs> Life Savers is, is beautiful. Is, Life is beautiful. The Roberto uh-huh. Benigni, hugely overrated film from my adolescence. Uh huh. Ah, it's pretty good. Who am I kidding? It's good. Now. Which one of those do you like the best? Or Life Itself, uh, like not the Roger Ebert memoir, but just the process of being alive and existing. Uh, life Itself by Roger Ebert. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and the winner is... <laughs> um, I will put Life Itself by Roger Ebert over Lifesavers. I'm actually not a big Lifesaver fan, with apologies to you, Jake. That's sad. But I'm also not a fan of the board game Life. I think it's one of the lamer games from our childhood. I would almost rather play Monopoly, which is... I would rather play Monopoly. That's a brutal thing to say about it. <laughs> Anything that you would rather play Monopoly than is a bad thing. Guys, Yeah. the only thing I know is that whatever game it is, it would be made that much better by playing it with you. Aww. 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 Isn't that sweet? That is sweet. Yeah. <laughs> As you pointed out yourself, it's very sweet. Uh, Less sweet. Since you pointed it out immediately. Yeah. Right. You, did not, wait, you did not waste any time. Really feel, <laughs> a nice sweet guy. Feels a little... If I could choose two guys to go travel to 
Moria with, I would go with you. That, with us? Well, that's a yeah. little bit more. You'd subject us to horrible danger and almost certain death? Oh, yeah. There is evil there that does not sleep. No. They awoke a dark evil, and I still can't quite understand the description of it, but it's a darkness that's surrounded by flames. Yeah. It's like a deep shadow. You know what I don't think it is? Is a giant eye <laughs> on a tower or whatever. Or uh, if we're talking about the... Oh, you're talking about the Balrog? The Balrog. The Balrog. You're talking about Moria. So. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm Not more tour. Yeah, come I'm on, so- man. I'm sorry. They both get, start with more. Get your Lord of the Rings locations down. I man. am sorry. I'm sorry, guys. You probably don't even know the difference between Mirkwood and Lothlorien. I've been too busy <laughs> reading Dune. I guess I'm not a true nerd. Life Serial. I really like Life Serial. I think an o- overrated thing with life in its title. Or, well, yeah, no, wrong. Underrated. Underrated. Yeah, I think. You know I, think I think is overrated. What? Cereal. I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> so did you, I. Nathan. <laughs> you and your stupid opinions. No, 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 Jake. I'm with you 100%. I hate cereal. I think cereal is so stupid. Like, yeah. cereal can burn. Cereal? Yeah, like, no. I mean, the only reason to eat breakfast is because scientists say we have to. <laughs> scientists. But other than that, breakfast is just a bogus meal. Now, I don't mind eating bacon and stuff for lunch or for a brunch, but breakfast is such a function of function and not a function of pleasure as far as i'm concerned you put bacon i can eat bacon anytime you put bacon on a bagel could you eat it right now bacon in the morning bacon bacon in the evening what if bacon at supper time you were tied up with duct tape over your mouth what if that duct tape was made out of bacon (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would eat duck bacon (laughs) yeah that sounds terrible (laughs) (laughs) you ever had duck bacon What if you were trapped under the sea in a glass coffin without bacon? It seems like it would still be in the top five of my concerns. Getting bacon? Wow. What if you were trapped in that glass coffin with Kevin Bacon? <laughs> I Would you eat him? <laughs> <laughs> I would break that glass coffin and drown us both. Yeah, well, yeah. much like women, we're all trying to break the glass coffin. Folks, I love Life Cereal, though, actually. There are two cereals that I kind of like. I mean, I can stomach a lot of cereals. There, there are many cereals that don't make me throw up. but Like candy cereals, like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, specifically Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm not a big Fruit Loops guy, not a big Fruity Pebble Flintstone cereal guy. Uh, definitely not a big Captain Crunch guy. That's pretty, yeah, and pretty never, never sweet and sticky. Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms I liked as a kid, at least the marshmallows. Oh, yeah. uh, Trix is too something. Trix she, before they reformulated. Did Trix reformulate? Yeah, when I was a kid, Trix reformulated and made everything more bold and icky. And there was a there was a pleasant Trix that was before it got really like syrupy. Yeah, like gross. Well, they're for kids. That's what I remember about them. Yeah. Trixie cereal makers. Yeah, but Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks are okay. I can I can eat a bowl of Apple Jacks. With some milk. Cookie Crisp. Cookie Crisp. Maybe it's once a decade. Yeah. yeah, it's just cookies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody just had an idea. <laughs> Let's make cereal and just make it cookies. <laughs> I mean, it's um, not a bad idea, but how about apple cinnamon Cheerios? Apple cinnamon Cheerios rule, actually. Yeah, now that you mention it, great. maybe I do like cereal, but I don't like the idea of cereal. No, I would never like seek out cereal. Right. If I was a kid and I had to eat cereal for breakfast, I would enjoy apple cinnamon Cheerios. Yeah, cinnamon toast crunch. But my preferred mode of breakfast is definitely like a health shake or something like that. Like that's all I want is like that's that's what I yeah. That's Nathan my breakfast. Is pretty ripped. Yeah, I am pretty yeah. ripped <laughs> before I ba- hit the gym. If and, I can't uh, have bacon, eggs, and coffee and toast, right, or biscuit, right, that would be my preferred breakfast. But if right. I can't have that, then I make myself a little shake. Obviously, all three of us agree. If you can get a moons over my hammy or a grand slam, which then oh yeah, well, yeah that's sure. your best breakfast. Those are great. It, it's breakfast is never worth the trouble of actually making for me apart from throwing some stuff in a blender. No, if my say wife wants to make a nice bacony eggsy brunch at around 11 on a Saturday or something like that, I can complain. I'm I'm definitely there for it. I'm not going to complain. But if I have to eat cereal, I'd say the the trifecta for me would be cinnamon toast crunch, life, and I'm not quite sure what the third would be. Maybe uh, frosted wheat things what are those called mini Mini wheats wheats. yeah those Those are are pretty good there has to be some hardiness to it generally speaking cinnamon toast crunch is about as kid sweet as i'll go these days you know i actually don't mind a bran a raisin with some raisin in it some some actual legit granola is good yeah like homemade like yeah homemade granola type stuff that's good yeah that's the bomb i'll actually actually. eat that 
Brennan, have we said what your favorite cereal is? No. I'm sure you guys have said it. What <laughs> <laughs> of the rings! <laughs> what do you think Frodo's favorite cereal was? Oh, man, he definitely is a... He's a raisin brand guy. He's the kind of guy that scoffs at cereal, let's be honest. Frodo scoffs at cereal? Yeah, he's going to fry up a fish. And yeah, you're right, all the hobbits. Yeah. 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 Aragorn probably starts the day with some bran. Yeah. Yeah. Not, he probably doesn't even have raisins. He's, he's eating it straight he's out of the bran box. Yeah. He's an oatmeal guy. Yeah, he's an oatmeal guy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. He's an yeah. old man. <laughs> What's Gandalf eat for breakfast? What is I mean, Gandalf like in his eighties or something in this book? Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think Gandalf is. I see him as like a English muffin yeah. kind of a guy. Maybe some coffee, coffee and toast. Gandalf might not eat breakfast. Grand- Gandalf generally I think pretty he's grumpy. I like English guy. muffins. I haven't had one in a long time. I love a good English muffin. Yeah, they're great. Little butter on them. Yeah, a little apple butter. Ooh, oh, I baby. love apple butter. Let's just go get some breakfast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for <laughs> yeah, listening, everybody. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we are now. Two. Boy, we haven't even met Strider yet. <laughs> fog on the Barrow Downs. Uh, yeah, we're at fog, chapter eight. Fog on the Barrow Downs. What do you guys think about chapter eight? Fog on the Barrow Downs. Uh, it's where you get some of this otherworldly creepiness. Yeah. For the, maybe for the first, well, you get it with the Nazgul when they show up in the Shire to an extent. But here you get, the hand that's creeping down towards them with the dagger, and then they're all for some reason dressed in fancy robes, <laughs> and <laughs> the weirdness that surrounds all that. Um, it has some of that. What's the word that you used? Fay. Fay. Yeah. It's got the, some of the fay weirdness to it, but also the uncanny sort yeah. of sensibility that comes up. There's a little bit of it that with Tom Bombadil too. I mean, yes, he's got some of that weird otherworldly uncanniness to him as well. What's the other? There's another word for him. Not. It's not erstwhile, but... Uh, not erstwhile. Uh, you know uncanny. what I'm talking about? Eerie? Eerie. Uh, Eldritch? Magical. <laughs> Eldritch, yeah. But I think Eldritch has that sense about it, though. Yeah, Eldritch is actually a pretty good word. Weird and sinister or yeah. ghostly. Yeah. So yeah, it has that Eldritch uncanny feeling to it. Yeah. So there we go. And I think that when he does that... So it's one of my favorite parts of The Hobbit is when they follow the lights off into the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and, is very similar. And so you have... And when he does it well, he does it very well, so... And um, there's really no explanation. What I like about this chapter, and you get this sense with quite a few things that happen in this book, like when you see the Argonoth, and there's this whole history to this world that you never will get or understand. And so, like, who these people were, where they came from, what are the uh, the rites, the whites, the barrel whites, you never really get a full explanation of it. It's just that they are... Mm-hmm. And it haunts these hills. And there's this, like, the stones that they pass in the fog. It's just that it has a willows feel to it. Yeah, it is very similar. Yeah, that there's a, it's a horror story. Yeah. That there, you get lost in this world. You can't find your way. Suddenly, you think you're running downhill, but suddenly you're running uphill. The fog's all around you. You can't see. And it's great. He does it very well. And for that to be, it helps, I think, set up some of the sinister danger, even outside of the ring wraiths or, right? Yeah. So this world itself is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And to be out trying to make your way to Mordor when this is just going to be one of the side adventures that you're going to run into, it helps escalate the the stakes a bit. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it gives you it does a really nice job of setting up the fact that it's not just that this hill has barrel whites lurking under it. It's what's lurking under a million other hills. How many horrible demons and monsters yeah. have they walked by unawares in this world because there's just stuff yeah, and it's also, so he does this really well with Gandalf, and so just to jump ahead of a couple chapters, when you get to the creature in the lake, yeah, the watcher in the lake, mm-hmm. I think is what they call it, and it tries to grab Bilbo, I mean Frodo first, and Gandalf secretly is thinking to himself and notices the fact that it goes for him first, but doesn't say anything about it. Right. You get the sense that, like I said, there's a whole depth to this world that even we as readers don't get access to. Yeah. Right. That Gandalf knows more than we do and Tolkien knows more than we do. It's the it's what J.K. Rowling tried to do with Dumbledore but didn't quite succeed as well. Mm-hmm. So that there's secrets and pathways and Well, it doesn't really seem like she came up with the secrets yeah. beforehand. Well, it's one of those things that's good and bad about J.K. Rowling. She's so careful in her plotting. She's so she's so well structured and it's a great virtue to her books. 
but it also feels like ends up feeling like everything that happens ultimately has a point even if the point is to just juke you to trick you yeah. to uh, what's the word i'm looking for to what's it what is it in cards when you to bluff. to bluff yeah it's part of the story it belongs whereas tolkien he really does just have this kind of wild unpredictable you they could have just died right there because this thing that had nothing to do with anything yeah happened because that's this dangerous world that's bigger and older and it's tom bobadabell too is putting those two things together like doesn't have anything to do with the ring except for you get the vague sense that anything that's evil whether it's just bill forney or demon monsters under a hill or a watcher mm-hmm. in a lake they're all going to key off of this ring and have a little bit of a yeah and it kind of dominates all the chapters up to flight to the ford is mm-hmm. this sense of threat and this ominous overtone it's like, like it is kind of like a horror story yeah. and you have the what's going to happen with strider telling them not to sleep in that one room and then that's the and then they see the threat and so it's i guess it's also the hobbits coming out of their safe world at the shire and realizing not only is the burden they're carrying going to cause a lot of threat and danger but the whole world mm-hmm. itself is dangerous to these little hobbits mm-hmm. so well i thought about this later and uh, maybe we'll talk about it today if we get there when they go th- they try to go through the pass and the- they have to hide from the birds and everything Saruman's watching all that stuff I don't know what author I could name that does paranoia better than Tolkien. I mean, he does, he evokes that delicious feeling, not quite a fear, but like the kind of feeling I get when I read about JFK conspiracies or, or, or things like that. <coughs> Just that feeling of there's mysterious things going on and we have to avoid them and we have to stay hidden. And it's a really delightful feeling to read, to have that that kind of spooky campfire kind of, but it's not ghostly. It's just the feeling of there's somebody watching, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a good uh, paranoid government thriller can do the same thing, mm-hmm. not with the supernatural, but with cameras and spies and secret identities and masks and stuff like that. There's something really delicious. And I don't know what that is. I've wondered my whole life why I like reading about things that would be incredibly unpleasant to experience. And it's not just, I mean, not everybody likes horror stuff like I do, but I think everybody to some extent likes being in the safety of their home, in their bed or curled up on their couch with the blanket and having the feeling evoked of being in a wilderness and having these eyes watch them and these things that are out of their control that they have to watch it's there's there's something kind of delicious about it mm-hmm. and i don't know what it is but it's weird i don't know philosophically or theologically or psychologically why it makes sense that people would enjoy that sort of thing or if it's necessarily a good thing <laughs> <laughs> you want delicious to tip- is a weird choice you want to tiptoe into those woods <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not talking about gore here you know what i mean i'm not talking about looking beyond the veil and finding out what the evil thing is i'm just talking about like i guess it's just that feeling of something bigger like nobody i don't really want to believe that oswald i think oswald probably did just fire a really lucky shot you know i think that that's the most reasonable occam's razor explanation for what happened to jfk but but a much more fun explanation is that cuba and president and johnson and the cia and nixon and everybody like there's something fun about it's not something you want to give your life to like some people with tinfoil hats would do but there's something kind of fun about you know maybe they were all in on it we'll never know yeah and well that's what everybody's doing with the coronavirus right yeah exactly well that's where it gets destructive is when did china create this right did america create it yeah is it real Mm. yep and if you're are, out, we, are we in an M. Night Shyamalan movie? If you're out there and you're propagating destructive theories on are Facebook. Are we in a J.J. Abrams movie? <laughs> Please don't. But I, I do like reading about that kind of stuff in fiction. Yeah. Um, no, I, don't th- I don't know that we could name an author that does, they're watching better than, or they could be watching better than Tolkien. I don't think we can name one now. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. The, <laughs> Jean Lecaire, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. He does that really well. And he seems to really like that. You get that. He does that a lot more than he does action scenes. Like Peter Jackson's all about, here's the spooky monster. But Tolkien's all about, there could be a spooky monster. And even if there isn't, there might just be unpleasant eyes on us. Yep. Man, I love that feeling. Okay. Chapter nine. At the inn of the prancing 
pony. At the sign of the prancing pony. At the sign of the prancing pony. This is the chapter where we have to read a whole bunch of drinking songs. Yeah. And Frodo accidentally puts on the ring and disappears and causes a big stir. This is where we have Strider. And we meet Strider. Yeah. What do you guys think about? And also the next chapter, chapter 10, Strider. Kind of talk about them together. Yeah, let's talk about them together. What do you guys think about the introduction of Strider, all this prancing pony business? Well, the introduction to Strider is interesting in the sense that at first you you have the uncertainty about him, but he ends up being a friend. And it's going to, they're going to follow it up later with not all that glitters is golden. That's actually, you know, that's what's, it's a, Bilbo's poem about Aragorn, right? Mm-hmm. It's his poem about Strider. And you get to see it here. He's good at kind of casting this threatening figure. And it's the one thing that I think, as far as Aragorn goes, Peter Jackson kind of got right, was mm-hmm. the introduction to him. Oh, the little puff on the... Uh, yeah, just being this dangerous figure in and in that you don't quite... In a corner yeah, you don't quite know, is he good or bad at first? And so, and there's the, that exact same sense here. He doesn't quite get the kingliness right later on. No, he doesn't. <laughs> With his with his take on Strider as being this emo guy who can't quite figure out whether or not he wants to be king. And you don't really get it in the Strider chapters, but later you will see there is that struggle within Strider mm-hmm. or within Aragorn. But it's more of him growing into the the responsibility that he does bear already. Right. Right. I, mean, I was trying to think this through the other day. What was the big difference? And with Jackson, Strider doesn't quite know whether or not he wants to be king or whether he even... He's afraid of the power. He's afraid of the power. Mm. But here, he assumes the power. It's more the weight of the responsibility he has that is so This is going to happen. There's no question. I just... Like, I'm thinking of the confusion that surrounds the breaking of the fellowship. Mm -hmm. And he realizes that it's a series of mistakes that he's made that day with decisions. And he says, well, let's just hope that the decision I'm making now to go and follow Mary and Pippin will be better than the ones that I've made throughout the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he feels the weight of the responsibility of having to make these choices, but it's not necessarily that he feels the anxiety of whether or not he's the right one to be making the choices. Right. You understand? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't hear this as a criticism folks, because I don't really mean it that way. Strider was a lot more flat than I remembered, just in the sense of not being three dimensional. Like he really is grumpy hero, dude. At yeah. least in these chapters, like in everything we've seen in Fellowship so so far, there's not that much to distinguish Strider besides physical appearance from Gandalf. Well, I think that's partly because of what Jake said earlier. He's already 80 years old. Right. And in the movies, it gives him a sense that he's like more our age. Yeah. And he's coming. He's figuring it out. He's coming it's a building's Roman. He's coming into his own yeah, as yeah. a king. But here, he's he's already knows that that's his what he's meant to do. And so his desire is to get to Gondor to help it. Right. But, or to Minas Tirith. And he's already got like, anytime the moment demands it to throw off his cloak and say, look at me, I am Isildur's heir. Right. (laughs) Right? I don't know how many times he does that in this book, (laughs) but he does it quite a bit. And then suddenly he's like 10 feet tall. And well, I understand. Has a commanding voice. Yeah. Everybody takes a step back and. Right. They realize suddenly, oh, he is king. They're in the presence of greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't imagine that he would be played by a Viggo Mortensen type as he's written. You'd imagine he'd be played by a more, I don't even know who, but someone who can be unironically big and heroic. And and I'm I'm trying to think who it would be. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger from Conan. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. That would be as awesome. Which Avenger would you have play Aragorn? Oh, man. Well, not Robert Downey Jr., that's for sure. Whereas Jackson... Maybe would. Later Thor, maybe, where he's sort of got a little bit more humility and gravity, but is also just kind of a dude. That but you don't want Ragnarok goofball silly, Thor either. Silly, yeah. The problem with Marvel is we don't have that many just man's men yeah, kind of guys. Not that kind of dignity. I don't know. It's hard. I'm trying to think of other franchises. Like Harrison Ford is way too self-aware and way too American. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Someone who just has absolute authority like that, you yeah. know, when Daniel Day-Lewis is playing a Bill the Butcher or a, yeah, or that kind of character. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. De Niro. I mean, De Niro is wrong for the part because- He doesn't look it. He doesn't look it and he doesn't sound it. He's yeah. a New York guy. But he has that sort of- But just that swagger. absolute no-nonsense kind of, 
I'm just a dude here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You better take me seriously kind of guy. I am Isildur's heir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Isildur's heir. Yeah. <laughs> you looking at me? You looking at me? You looking at me? <laughs> Strider. Okay. And then we go into Knife in the Dark. Which I already talked about. You already so. talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. With the Eldritch uncanny quality. So we can just move right on, Nathan. Yeah, the only thing that I wanted to say is that that is where the poems really dragged me down because Aragorn tells that long story about is it that's where the lay of Berrien and Luthien is. Yeah. And I yeah. I like Fey, I like world building, I like stuff that's like feels like it's extending the story and triggering my imagination, but man do I not care. Well, what's fun about, about the that one is you Berrien get to and Luthien. have some of Tolkien's own personal history get involved with him watching his wife dance in the woods for him and all that so <laughs> so he, he is Baron and she is Luthien yeah, yeah. Uh, once again you get Tolkien's weird <laughs> gender <laughs> politics or whatever you want yeah. to call them in there <laughs> but I like it I guess if people like it it's fine I, I don't know you guys said you both read the poems to your kids which I found interesting I don't know that I'd have the patience for it I don't have the patience to read them to myself honestly I, I kind of skim them but Tolkien doesn't care he doesn't no, really care. This is where you get one of those fun side comments. Strider sighed and paused before he spoke again. That is a song, he said, in the mode that is called Anthinath among the elves. But it's hard to render in our common speech, and this is but a rough echo of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm a bad poet. So if you're bored, <laughs> it's because you're not an elf. <laughs> it was really great in the elfish, though. And talk about weird. Those elves are weird. And those chapters on the elves are weird. Which chapters? like When you get to Lothlorien later on. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe we'll get there today. We're we're moving pretty quick right now. Uh, Book two. Welcome to book two, guys. Do we just pass right over flight to the fort? Oh, sorry. There's not anything to say about it. (laughs) Brennan, give me all your thoughts on flight to the fort. Book two. (laughs) Jake, I know you've been chomping at the bit to talk about flight to the fort. Have I? Where does Flight to the Ford even happen? Is that, that's before that's Prancing just, Pony and. No, Flight to the Ford is where they. Oh! Buckleberry Ferry! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buckleberry Ferry! Yeah. No, this, yeah. Is the other, this is where they're trying to cross the river and you have the horses yeah. in the water and they. And Peter get, Jackson, you know, they're all running. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, uh, what's her face? In slow motion. Liv, and Liv yeah, Tyler. We have to jump. And, we have the O for, or for, or Fortuna ripoff music. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a pretty cool sequence in Peter Jackson, well, I guess. Well, is, this is where you see Liz the seriousness. Tyler's not in it. Yes, she is. In the... Not in La- Flight to the Ford. The Flight to the Ford is where they're trying to cross the river to get to... You, you, well, you guys just told me that was... The chapter Flight to the Ford is the one right before part two. It's where they're trying to ford the big river to get to Rivendell. Right, so that's the... Oh, okay, that's, it is where... Yeah. So, wait. So, Weathertop's happened. Yeah, Weathertop. Yeah, sorry. Weathertop, this is the last chapter of book one. Weathertop is Knife in the Dark. That's oh, the chapter right. with the long, boring lay of Luthien or whatever yeah. and we could talk yeah we just skip past the whole well I think we'd already said what we wanted to say about the uncanny yeah. and all that if you have any thoughts about nope okay, well, sorry how... yep yeah sorry yeah, it is there's another good showdown with Eldritch Evil yep there'll be plenty more to come uh, so flight to the floor gl- old Glorfindel or whatever his name <laughs> oh, is that's right you get your first introduction to some of the elves. Well, I guess you had your earlier introduction with yeah, the, that goofball meeting with yeah. the elves. Yeah. But this isn't nearly as weird as, I mean, Rivendell is not nearly as strange as Lothlorien. Lothlorien. That place is just weird. I like Lothlorien this time. Yeah. Yeah. Lothlorien. Well, we'll talk about it. Uh, what'd you guys think about Rivendell where we've arrived at Rivendell? There's always a challenge when uh, authors trying to write about a place and a time and people and everything that are better and cooler than he is. Do you think Tolkien, he's really good at evoking ancient, more evil than you could possibly imagine evil. Is he good? Is he equally, yeah. is he equally good at evoking ancient, more good than you can possibly imagine good? Hmm. That's an interesting question, Nathan. I don't know that he's better at it, but he's good at it. Yeah. I agree. It stinks that he cast Agent Smith. <laughs> that got a big laugh Elrond. in the theater. I guess you didn't catch up with those movies until a couple of years, until the yeah. third one came out. But I saw that movie on opening day. And when he walks out in his dumb Elrond wig, the whole theater Lost cracked it. up. Yeah. <laughs> and then they even give, make the mistake of giving him a very Agent Smith sounding, welcome to Rivendell, Mr. Baggins. <laughs> 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 Mr. Baggins. 
<laughs> he was one of the weirder casting choices. You know, he's fine actually for the part. He's I think, fine but for the part. He was just so iconic as Agent time, Smith. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't bother me. Now. I mean, my my kids know him as much as uh, the Red Skull as they do. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. And they don't they don't know him as Agent Agent Smith. When they finally get to the Matrix movies, if they ever do someday, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's the guy from the Lord of the Rings." Huh. Welcome to Rivendell. <laughs> Peter Jackson has not, you want to talk about somebody who doesn't know how to evoke ancient good that's better than any good you can imagine. Peter Jackson has no concept about how to do the elves besides to make them boring and ethereal and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of the problem with the, with the movies in general is they end up making it hard for me to separate things like the elves from Peter Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. I even found it difficult this time reading through it to separate them like that, but Ian, by the way, completely done with the movies. He hates them. He no hates interest. them. He doesn't want to watch any more of them. He doesn't want to finish watching them. He says the movies in his mind are better. And he the books, you mean? The no, the movies in his mind, the his imagination, the way that he imagines <laughs> oh, it see. all yeah, play yeah, yeah. is better. And every movie has ruined it for him. And he's just done. Wow, what'd you guys make it through? I mean, we've we've. Made it through the first two. Yeah. But he doesn't want to watch The Return of the King. No. The first one, I think he liked well well enough, but the second one was just like, never Well, that one's again. a hard one, yeah. Never again. Yeah. yeah, that one's rough. So Rivendell. Yeah, Rivendell. I mean, there's a lot of, Tolkien spends a lot of time describing who the elves are and just going into elf lore and who this guy is and what this guy is and this guy's relationship to this guy. It's all, to me, pretty compelling, but I'm not sure exactly... Yeah, I mean, Why? it's good in the sense that it seems like, so a lot of the influence of Beowulf you start seeing here, yeah. this is like, this is like uh, Heorot, this mm. is the Hrothgar's Hall, right? And so here you have the king who's more kingly than any king you've ever seen, Elrond, and all the people in his house content and happy to be there, but there's this whole courtly world that to them is real and not real, that's not the right way of putting it. There's a courtly world to them that the others don't have access to, and yet it doesn't, it seems, he does a good job portraying it. Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien does. It It seems, well, maybe real was the right way. I just wasn't saying it the right way. <laughs> it seems real, mm -hmm. but yet um, in a lot of these situations, like one of the reasons Peter Jackson has difficulty doing this is because we don't have any way of understanding these worlds. Mm like the kingly courtly traditions and these, what it would be like to be an elf in a house like this, where you had the leader, but everybody within the house also had these sort of knightly attributes to them and stuff like that. And what living like that would be. And so you have the feast and you have the songs that they sing to one another at night and just this strange world, but it still is compelling and seems real. Well, one thing I can tag on with that is I don't remember where we've, where, where have we talked about, the rules. We've said several times that good fantasy and sci-fi, even if you don't know what they are, it has to feel like... We've talked about it with Lewis. With before. Lewis, yeah. There, it has to feel like there's rules, and it has to feel like it's all not just being made up as you go along. And Tolkien, I mean, by all accounts, he'd already written a whole history and knew the languages and knew these peoples and knew who they were, and mm -hmm. you can just tell. And that adds a lot of compelling yeah, interest. And so, like, in the Fog and the Barrow Downs, it was more of the eldritch uncanny quality, yeah. the depth of history there. Here you actually just get like the lore that's behind it all in the way that the this house has history to it. Elrond has history. He was there when Sauron was defeated the first time. And all these people and all the songs they're telling, there's this whole rich history and mm -hmm. heritage and culture that seems weird and strange, but the hobbits are still in, and Bilbo kind of fits in. And I guess part of it, the way he does it too is he lets you see the way that the elves both humor Bilbo and respect him. Mm -hmm. And Bilbo knows that they're both humoring and respecting him. And he's okay with that. And Frodo's okay with that. And all the different relationships within that house and the way everybody kind of finds a place helps you. So you see it again later in Lothlorien with the elves and the way that they take Gimli in, even at first, so they're resistant to him. And also when they find out Sam wished that he had had rope mm -hmm. and they told him well if we had known we would have showed you like how to do this and we would have had but alas you're not going to know now right. but there's this beowulfian hospitable hospitality to the stranger that's there that does strike true because it's getting at these 
courtly knightly traditions that we understand through Arthurian and mm-hmm. Beowulf romances and stuff like that. And so the elves kind of, I, th- I guess the way he kind of heightens the elves is by reaching back to the traditions that we have that kind of heighten them. And he'll, he'll do the same thing with Rohan and with Gondor, but he makes it a little, he makes it just otherworldly enough that it seems strange to us. Like they're just sitting there singing these weird elven songs at night and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But their friendliness to the hobbits has always been compelling to me. So, yeah, I think that's the key. I mean, we've talked about this plenty before, but having relatable point of view characters, uh, well, the reference point I'm thinking, the thing I'm comparing it to in my mind, I've been reading ahead because we're going to do Dune in December, although who knows when that movie will come out with everything being delayed. Yeah. But We just uh, released promo photos today. Oh, did we? I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, first looks i've been reading dune and dune is exactly it's such an interesting case study i think you guys will be fascinated by this it is harry potter without harry or lord of the rings by uh, without the hobbits it is just world building just the courtly characters doing their courtly stuff it's like if you just plopped down in rivendell and had to acclimate yourself while all their crazy high and mighty Rivendell stuff was going on or Lothlorien. And it's compelling, but I think there's a reason that people who aren't nerds don't read Dune and people who aren't nerds do read Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings has some goofy little hobbits that are like, oh, these are how the elves are. And you can, and I'm, I'm just going to be sitting at the table trying to make conversation with this one guy in the corner while all the high and mighty ethereal angel people are doing their thing and sam's just excited about rope all those things really plant you in the story yeah in a compelling way that just isn't possible without that character without those characters yeah and that even that with that said it still seems like there's as otherworldly as the elves are with tolkien there's more flesh and bone to them than there is with like a peter jackson elf yeah they're not just like these airy wispy spirits they are shaped by the land and the land shapes them. So like you have your tree, your wood elves, and then you have your other kinds that take on the character of the places they live. I found that interesting because my imagination had been heavily influenced by Jackson's movies to Mm -hmm. go back now and realize that these are elves that like, you feel like they feel things, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can understand that there's a, there's stuff behind the poetry they're writing. They they might actually like the hobbits apart from, some kind of courtly they're not weird robotic yeah they're exactly they're not vulcans yeah peter jackson really sees them as vulcans yeah but no they've got they've got feelings and they laugh and eat and feast and all those things and yeah and actually take pleasure in it so yeah beowulf is a good is a good comparison point yeah but given having the hobbits there is like well what if nathan was in bit had to go to hrothgar's hall how would he process it all as opposed to just being in hrothgar's hall yep Well, let's talk about it. The Council of Elrond, Chapter 2. What thoughts do you guys have about the Council of Elrond? It's a fun chapter if you want all the history and the lore and the weird. Did you? I did, yeah. I've heard people, I remember, because I was a nerd that grew up with fellow nerd kids who liked this stuff, I remember the... uh, Chapter 2, whatever, the, the dump of exposition when Gandalf shows up and Elrond were kind of the most divisive chapters, divisive chapters, because they're kind of boring. Huh. That's what people argued, at least. Like, well, it's a clever way to get a lot of background in by having these people have to tell their stories to the other people who need to know everything there is to know about this ring. Mm-hmm. It's a threat to everyone. As far as like having to get an exposition dump in, it's one of the cleverer ways of doing it. I mean... It's a council and they all have to have this council because they have to make a heavy decision on eventually, you know, who's going to take this ring and try to destroy it. Yeah. And so, and then you get to get introductions to each of the characters who's going to play a major role. Even if they're brief, you get to see Gimli. Probably the clearest introduction is Boromir because you already get a shadow of who he's going to be. Right. When he wants to take it to Minas Tirith and use it as a weapon. And so, I mean, there's some character building and then there's also... Um, some of the deep history you need and the decisions and the weight of what 
that's going on. And it's, I don't know, it's like- It's a super important chapter for kids, I think. Yeah. I don't think that kids understand what's going on or really- Just to have the stakes laid out that clearly, yeah. you know, almost like a high school class on- well, yeah, I who mean, everyone is, but also you see these men arguing and weighing these things that are very heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I guess as a young man, it's like sitting in, sitting outside the door of an elders meeting or something mm-hmm. as these people are weighing what to do with this great evil. Listening in on something that we shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And it's a good chapter because you also then get to see Frodo take the responsibility mm-hmm. on his shoulders. And although they make it much more pro forma, or Tolkien is much more pro forma about that than Jackson. Jackson really wanted to heighten the yeah. drama of, oh, is he going to do it? He's going to do it. He yeah. did it. Whereas in the book, it's just like, I'm going to do it. And everybody's like, yeah, we thought you would considering that. Oh, and it's just saying no one else can. in the book, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. I always really liked this chapter. To me, it felt like a really good high school lecture, like that sort of late afternoon feeling of you've eaten lunch and you're kind of halfway falling asleep and it's a little bit dreamy, but there's a teacher that you like and they're just going on and on and on about something that's really interesting to them and it's pretty compelling, but you also feel a little drowsy, that kind of magical, yeah, delightful feeling right up there with paranoia as far as feelings go. Yeah, um, delicious. Delicious feeling. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. I'm with you. I like this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess we should talk about Saruman. What does Saruman represent? What does he represent? He's a bad guy. It's not easy to talk, come up with questions for this stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but we do need to talk about, this is the big introduction of arguably the villain. I mean, this is the only, Saruman is, or Sauron is just a force of evil. Saruman is like a bad dude. What do you guys think about that? Saruman. I mean, I like the dance fight he has with Gandalf. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> the way Tolkien describes that. So you have elected the way of pain. And then he spun me in circles. <laughs> a disco ball descended from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so humiliated. <laughs> I gave you the chance of aiding me willingly. <laughs> I always thought that scene was kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, it's stupid. <laughs> no, I mean... It's an interesting element to have in this story that you have these great, you, it foreshadows what will happen with Boromir, mm-hmm. but also then helps you get some respect for Boromir because at least he repents right. and is sad at the end of at what he had done. Even though he doesn't get his big magical scene like he does in the movie, mm-hmm. he does at least, he does get the same character arc that Boromir gets, right? Right. Though I did miss that. That's one of the things, I think Jake is already the one, has already said this. I think that's one thing the movie's got right. Yeah. Was having, letting, letting Boromir die. Yep. I actually like the scene that the movie adds where they're in the snow and Frodo drops the ring and Boromir picks it up and they give him some dialogue. I think that Tolkien has later for him, but it's nice to be laying in who Boromir is and his temptation earlier. That's the kind of thing you can do in hindsight though, that I don't fault Tolkien for not thinking to do when he was writing it. I mean, so two things. One, it's interesting to think that Sauron at one point was just a man like Saruman, mm-hmm. who the ring and through his... Well, technically, Brandon, he was one of the... I don't know what they're called. He was a godlike kind of... The Mala something. The, the Malakoi or something. Yeah, the Malakoi. <laughs> technically, uh, he was one of the voices that was singing reality into existence under the yeah. god figure's other voice. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he decided to sing a discordant note. No, actually, that's Malkor or whatever. That's yeah. like the, the proto-Sauron. The, like even, even worse than Sauron. Yeah, right? the other Dark Lord. Yeah. But then he got defeated and thrown into the Great Void. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As happens. And, As uh, happens. And then Sauron comes and takes over. Sauron did the same thing, yeah. Yeah. But he at one point was, I think Gandalf makes the point that he was a man or a an angelic. He he wasn't always fallen. Right. Like he is now, right? Yeah. And so you get to see that with Saruman. He the excuses that I guess you get to see the the threat and the reality of what it would have been had Galadriel actually taken the ring or had right. Bormer actually taken the ring. That yeah. at first it would have seemed like it was a good thing they were doing because he tried to make the argument to Gandalf, well, we're just going to abide our time and then we'll beat him, right? We just kind of go with the flow and then we find our right moment and then we'll take charge and we'll use the ring for good i think he does sort of on the dignity of giving him a pretty good argument actually because he says like we're gonna finally achieve 
what we've always wanted. We've always had to work through stupid idiot men, basically. That's yeah. what we had to do as wizards, and it's never worked, Gandalf. Like yeah. the the world is in chaos because we haven't had the right tools to do what we were sent to do. And so let's just use this power to put things right. We're, 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 we can finally do it. Yeah, and so and I'm I totally agree with Tolkien. I think that so as I've been hearing people talk about COVID and all the conspiracy surrounding it, I'm a complete, I'm, I am a complete believer in the banality of evil, mm-hmm. right? That you don't have, they're not like just twisting their mustaches thinking, Oh, now how can I be evil today? Right. That evil often happens through people who think that they're doing very good things. Right. And except so, the Clintons. Except the Clintons. Right. Yeah. They have a cabal. Right. Yeah. They have a cabal. That's right. The Clintons though. <laughs> And so here with Saruman, it's interesting to see him have a argument that has justified it for himself. And that I think that he actually thinks this is the right thing to do. Even though you see power corrupting, you see the slow, the, the way that power twists us and greed twists us to believe things that are monstrous. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just an accurate portrayal of how that happens. The libertarian conspiracy theorists often get it very wrong in the, because they just... They want to think all these people are Sauron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's just not the way it is. No, it's not. There's, I don't know. It's He's a good character. He's one of the more nakedly metaphorical ones, I would say. Whether yeah. Tolkien intended, Tolkien would hate me saying that. He's allegorical? Yeah, well, he feels like it. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's every every politician who ever, who's ever said, let's embrace this thing that's bad so that we can ultimately do something that's good. Yeah. I won't color it in any more than that, folks, because I'm not Nathan of the many colors. I am Nathan of the black and white. Uh, anything else to say about the Council of Elrond? No. And I, I mean, Mm-mm. I think Jake may have been right. This may be the, a good place to stop. Yeah, no, I think, it, I think, you're, I think it's a perfect place to stop. The one other thing I would say about the Council of Elrond is for all the mockery that people make of Tolkien leaving that eagle, what they say, say is an eagle plot hole that they could have just flown the ring to Mordor, he, is at, he doesn't close that loop necessarily he kind of does but he doesn't he's not at great pains to close that but man he goes out of his way to answer every other objection why couldn't we give it to tom bombadil why couldn't we throw it into the sea why couldn't we do this why are there any dragons around like he makes those characters go through every objection that a reader could possibly raise like is there anything else can can we just keep it at rivendell can we just give it to one of the good guys is there anything else we can possibly do and he just like he takes nope. pages and pages. Nope, 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 nope. nope, nope. <laughs> you have to read this book. <laughs> you have to read this book. <laughs> There's something that doesn't happen in a lot of your, I can't think of a specific example, but your modern like Marvel-y kind of things. It'll be like, well, we got to get the glowy thing because we got to get the glowy thing. Bad things will happen. But just taking the time to lay it in and to yeah. d- discuss every possible other option. Do we really have to go back in time? Is that really the only way to do this? Well, that would be a good example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that feels like a very arbitrary movie for all its merits. Yeah. Whereas Tolkien is at great pains to make it feel like the only thing we possibly could have done is not just sent the ring, but sent it with Frodo, actually. I think we needed another. They should have uh, just novelized those movies. I think we needed a part two before we got to Endgame. It should have been a trilogy? The Council of the. Avengers, <laughs> well, just sitting there for like two or three hours debating. Talking and here now the is the possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Strange gets up. Here are all the stones. Here's the history behind them. This is why this is the only way. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah, I, I would. I, I that would actually probably be a pretty good movie. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it wouldn't be a good movie actually. But all right. Well, I guess we are basically going to get to talk about book two of lord of the rings next and we've also got to talk about the moon and sixpence and waiting for godot soon guys i don't think either one of those is going to take more than an episode or two max Mm-mm. probably not more than an episode either one i think so so we will actually basically folks be able to stay on schedule if i'm not mistaken we're supposed to hit june with kill mockingbird and i think that that will still happen even though we've taken a convoluted road to get there oh man i'm happy to be back in that book i haven't started it yet it's but i'm happy book. to hear you guys say it I'm still holds the, up and it's awesome nearing the finish line it's good it's isn't a it? good book wow and you just started it like this weekend or something right yeah, like two days ago it so, draws you in yeah it's a good book yeah 
Well, I look forward to getting back to it. The other thing I look forward to doing each and every week is calling out our patrons. Now, Jake, how do you get to be a patron of The Bookening? You go to patreon.com forward slash The Bookening, and you give at least $10 a month. $5 a month gives you access to all kinds of behind-the-scenes content. A myriad amount of videos now that you can watch. Lots of videos. Fun videos. $1 a month gets you nothing except our gratitude. Yeah. But $10 a month gets you the donor shout out mm-hmm. and uh, $25 a month gets you the donor shout out plus a, an annual t-shirt. Yeah. It's almost and time for that next sheet t-shirt, isn't it? Is it not? No. No. Oh, never mind. We have Brandon, months are you? And months to go. A, having a stroke and B, assuming it's Christmas time. <laughs> Brandon is yes. wearing a red Santa hat. <laughs> I always assume it's Christmas. He's bottled in Christmas lights. Yeah. $50 a month. It, is easily the best of the bunch because you get the donor shout out. Mm-hmm. You get the behind the scenes content. You get the donor shout out. You get the annual t-shirt at Christmas time, not in April. <laughs> 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 and and you get a copy of every book that we do on this show since you months in advance so that you have plenty of time to read along with us. And those copies of the book are quality copies that are all personally signed with a little note to you. Yeah. Yep. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Signed, sealed. And not signed by just anybody, but signed by the three of us. We could do another level where we just have anybody. Yeah, where we just sign the books. <laughs> yeah. You give us 40 bucks, we'll have some schmucks sign the books. Uh, no. That would be funny. That would be funny. But let's not do that. That sounds like a terrible idea. Guys, let's do Oh, Jake, you didn't talk about the best reward level of all. I know there's lots of people with money in their burning in their oh, pockets right well, now. Well, there's also $100 a month. And that's fun because you get to... You get everything everything else that we've talked about. Plus, mm-hmm. you get to pick a book that we yep. do. You just get to determine it. For example, one of our $100 a month supporters mm-hmm. uh, managed to get Brothers Karamazov bumped from December to January. So sad. <laughs> and uh, through Dune in in December so that we could read it in time for the movie. Yep. Thank you. Now we get to read a depressing Russian novel during the most depressing time of the year. So we can be double depressed. Get lots of vodka. Oh, we got lots of vodka. I'm looking forward to it. I like Dostoevsky sometimes. Sometimes. I think Brothers K is going to be the one. It's going to be the breakthrough for Dostoevsky. That's my favorite that I've read. Yeah. Dune, I'm really enjoying. So thank you for that. I've been reading ahead on that for whatever reason. Because you're a nerd. Because I'm a nerd and I've just been on a sci-fi kick. Speaking of sci-fi kicks, why don't you guys say what sci-fi character each one of these oh my <laughs> reminds you of. I will alternate between the two of you. I'll give one to Jake and then one to Brandon. Star Wars characters not allowed. Oh, come on. <laughs> Rubbed around to the lovebirds, Jake. Captain James T. Kirk. It's close to being Star Wars, but that's Star Trek. The Artful Anthony Dodger, Brandon. Riddick Pitch Black. <laughs> All right. The Chronicles of. A Little Anthony Cigar Store, Jake. Ellen Ripley. All right. The Immortal Chelsea E. Robert Neville from I Am Legend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Spock. From Star Trek. Lily of the Valley. Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko from the movie Donnie Darko. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Malcolm Reynolds. Malcolm Reynolds. What's he from? I think Firefly by the picture. Ah, yes. That sounds familiar. Uh, did I say Lily of the Valley? Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Fox, Mulder, and Dana Scully. Hey, there. Come on. You, you, you burned two and you took one of mine. Sorry. The Keith Master. Sarah Connor. Terminator franchise, of course. David's Mighty Men Trucking. McReady from The Thing. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell character. Yeah. Very manly. John and Jill, Little Baby Max. Marty McFly. Back to the future. Jane and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Flash Gordon. From Flash Gordon serials. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Jean-Luc Picard. He would be from Star Trek The Next Generation. Also the hit show on CBS Access, Star Trek Picard. Console Prime Adam. Murphy from Rogo- Ro- RoboCop. Oh, yeah, RoboCop. He's quite the cop. Jeremy, the dark-hooded Lord of Death. Rick Deckard. Rick Deckard from Blade Runner. Let me see how many of these I can name. Nathan, not me. Major Alan Dutch Schaefer. 
Dutch, Dutch, Dutch. That's from that's Arnold Schwarzenegger from Predator. Very good. Wow. Uh, Maya! Maya! Dr. Emmett Brown. Oh, baby, the doc from Back to the Future. Uh-huh. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith the Ladies of Justice. Roy Batty. Ooh, Roy Batty. I don't know if I know that one. Blade Runner. Oh. The robot. Oh, okay. He's like the bad guy. Uh-huh. Danny the Dude. Hal 9000. Uh, 2001. DJ Sammy G. Claw 2. Claw 2. <laughs> now from you the, found my list. The Day the Earth Stood <laughs> Still. <laughs> Benny and Dana Tiberius. Neo. He would be from The Matrix. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Seth Brundle. The Fly. Whoa. Professor and Lady Very X. Good. Robocop. He'd be from Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> Lavender's green, Dylan Dylan. Lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan Dylan. I love you too. Dr. Chris Kelvin? Chris Kelvin? Ooh, I don't know that one. What's that from? From Solaris. Oh, I've never seen it. No Constrictor. Max Rakitansky. Oh, he's from the Mad Max quadrilogy. Merchip. Thomas Anderson. Thomas Anderson. That's another name from Neo from The Matrix. Yeah. Fair and favorite, Maiden Chloe. Terminator. He's from the Terminator franchise. <laughs> Six-pack Zach with the mean attack and Captain with a knack for laying down the smack. Elliot. E.T. Anthony was cold and hate life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Gort. Uh, he's from Gort. Gort. Yeah. <laughs> You just suggested Texas, <laughs> Texas Ranger. The day the Earth stood still. Oh, he's oh he's the robot from the day the Earth stood still. Did you just the day Texas Texas did? Kevin Texas. Flynn. Ooh, Kevin Flynn. Kevin Flynn. Kevin Flynn. If you get this, I'll be impressed. Kevin Flynn sounds. I don't think I'm gonna get it. Tron. You, oh, Tron. Of course, that's Jeff Bridges' name. Rachel. Rachel. David Bowman. David Bowie wrote some good songs. David Bowman. Is he played by a Caucasian fella? He is. Is that fella muscular? I don't know about that. Uh, oh, I don't know. Is it Schwarzenegger's character from True Lies? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh. oh. Well, who knows the, the guy's name from Space Odyssey? Oh, Leopard Tank Thomas. Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese is from Terminator. Midnight Ninja Ellen. So River Tam. River Tam is from Firefly. Queen Congetta. Uh, Serenity. Yeah, yeah. And Serenity. Uh, Thomas Jerome Newton. Thomas Jerome Newton was a famous from the Man Who Fell to Earth, but and he was played by David Bowie. There you go, inventor. Uh, Return of the Je- Did I say Queen Kangetta? Queen Kangetta. Alien. That would be from the hit film uh, Aragon. Return of the Jedediah. <laughs> Roy Neary. Dark City. No. Close Encounters of the Third Gang. Oh, of course. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Neota Uhura. Oh, she'd be from Star Trek. Yep. Timothy, the writer of Dead Dawn. George Taylor. George Taylor. Oh, boy. Give me a hint. Uh, Statue of Liberty. Head in the sand. Oh, uh, Planet of the Apes? Yeah. That's the name of... That's apparently his name. Jarlson Heston in that movie? Doesn't like those damn dirty apes. Eric and Kate, the camp champ kings who are warm and love bees. Frankenstein's monster. That would... Mm. Be from Frankenstein. Maddie, 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 Matt, man. Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers would be from Buck Rogers. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Marvin the Paranoid Android. Marvin the Paranoid Android. He's from Looney Tunes, right? <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, of course. Well, you can't blame me. There's, there's that Marvin the Alien guy. Marvin the Martian. Yeah, Marvin the Martian. Tyler the Keeper of Eternal Darkness and Laura the Keeper of Eternal Light. Dominic Cobb. Dominic Cobb. Is he played by Vin Diesel? No. I'll see you in your dreams tonight. Total Recall? No. Inception. Oh, Inception, of course. Cold Steel Cody. Robbie the Robot. Robbie the Robot is from Fantastic Voyage, among other things. Forbidden Planet? Ah, darn it. Wait. Fantastic Voyage. Please, Robbie, be in Fantastic... No, Fantastic Voyage is the one where they go inside Rick or uh, the guys... I was thinking of Forbidden Planet. It has the id monster and stuff. I think I got that one. Jacqueline the Librarian by Bar- Barbarian. The Iron Giant. He's from The Iron Giant. John Bombadillo Bombdiggity. Groot. He's from Galaxy. Captain Tennille, his mate. Snake Pliskin. He's from Escape from New York. Yeah. Well, I feel like I have some nerd cred, but not as much as I wanted. All right, folks, thanks for listening. 
we'll be back. I think we'll be back with some things that aren't Lord of the Rings, and then we'll get book two after we clean up whatchamacallit, Waiting for Godot and Moon and Sixpence. That sound good, guys? Sounds great. Yep. All right. Book of the Day, written by Brandon, performed by Brandon and his puppets. Support us at patreon.com forward slash the booking and until next time ever the road goes on and on back to the door where it began 